0: to take a minute and uh, let you guys uh, just To recap something that Carmen said earlier, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and we have a special gift for everyone who's here. We're gonna be giving out t-shirts, so please be sure to be here. And uh, we have a Good Friday service uh, the the following Friday, uh, and then we'll be celebrating Easter, the resurrection here at City Church. So please make plans to attend, and uh, uh, think of somebody that you can invite to church with you on that day. Uh, Easter is one of those uh, days of the year where a lot of people uh, kind of in their mind already think, "Oh, I'm going to go to church anyway, so it's an easy time to invite somebody. So if you've got a friend that has not been to church in a long time, it might be a good opportunity to invite them to come back with you. Uh, And then uh, a little bit later today, I am going to be releasing a video uh, uh, with some of my thoughts on some things that are happening in society right now. And so I wanted to say that because I wanted you to look for it. It'll be on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and uh, we're in the process right now of trying to hire a, a family's pastor uh, and get our kids program up and running again, get our uh, uh the the full breadth of what it looks like to have uh, ministries for family going in the church. But because we still have so many kids in the room, I felt like it would be best to address some of these things via a video instead of live in person. So please look for that a little bit later today. Like I said, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, then the last thing I'll say before I jump in is we are, and we have been for a, for a, for a while now, spending a lot of time covering, uh, going line by line in Scripture, covering really in-depth topics, right? And there might be moments where you're sitting in here going like, I, "I that was a lot of information. I don't know what that was for today. It's not exclusively for today, all right? We are trying to create a tool belt for believers, for you guys, so that when a topic comes up, right? And you're like, man, I don't know what to say to that. But then you remember that, oh man, the church has taught on this. You can go back, access that information online. And, and then if you have questions, reach back out to us. If you want notes, one of the things that we're working on right now is developing a process where we take the notes that I have from Sunday as well as external sources and compile those so that we can start making that available. The goal is to equip you to be engaged in the conversation in this society, not just to be Christians that are just like, yeah, I go to church and I'm a good person, but people who are actively able to engage in the conversation. And there are difficult conversations that need to be had and they need to be had intelligently. So, I want to encourage you in the, in the coming months and years of your life, remember that, that this type of material like we're doing right now, these are creating tools for your tool belt so that you can come back to them when people are objecting, the, objecting to them or teaching something that is incorrect or uh, just straight out getting it wrong. You have something to go back to that might be able to help you in that process. So we are in week six of doctrine. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of the word. And uh, we're going to be starting here in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Today, I want to talk about judgment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we uh, we stand on it. So help us to understand it. Speak to us, bring clarity. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, I've heard it said that good judgment comes from experience and experience, well, that comes from poor judgment. We're talking about a different type of judgment here. We're talking about judgment that comes based on the way that we live our lives. And this becomes one of those like tricky conversations, one of those doctrines that are a little bit touchy even within the church. And the reason I say that is is that within the church, we can get very divided on what we believe, right, God's willing to do, okay? And I think that that comes from a place that I can relate with. I think it comes from this place of just compassion, this idea that, uh, that like, I wouldn't do it that way, right? That's a, that's a that's an emotion that, that I think that a lot of people wrestle with, and I wrestle with that, and this is why I come back to Scripture being so important in the conversation, because I have to remove my feelings from the topic. Hebrews chapter 6, here in verse 1, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, I just want you to pause for a moment, right? And he says, Let, let's leave the elementary doctrine. What are those elementary doctrine? Well, he says the foundation of repentance from dead works, right? Sin in our lives, behavior that doesn't honor God, and a faith toward God. Those are elementary. Those are the basic tenets of the faith. There is sin. When I'm in sin, that brings death. Because I love God, I'm going to believe in Him, and I'm going to live differently, Okay? But watch what he says here. He says, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So these are also elementary. These are simple things, but yet when we get to this conversation around eternal judgment, we don't want to have the conversation. We don't want to talk about like what's going to happen. What are the consequences for the way that we live our lives? Now, why does this doctrine matter? Besides the fact that Scripture says it's elementary, that it should be something that is basic and simple for us, why is it that it should be a part of our conversation? Well, it is a part of our conversation because of, it needs to be a part of our conversation because of the world around us and its rejection of who Jesus is. Now, this last week, I was preparing for this uh, uh, content, right? And I came across uh, a couple of articles written by professors, okay? And they said that anybody that is talking about Jesus as Lord falls into, and then it gave the whole list of ists and isms that only people who are racist or misogynist or whatever it is, that they're the only ones that are going to talk about Jesus as being Lord. Now, you might think to yourself right now, like, how does that even make sense? I, I don't know how it makes sense, right? But I can tell you what it does is it puts a little bit of fear inside of you to go, okay, what am I missing? Why I, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because somehow talking about Jesus as Lord is this idea that I've come up with, except for the fact that we are going line by line through scripture. We're looking at what the word of God says. And the problem here is, is that we have already established that Jesus identifies himself as Lord, and his disciples, those that followed him, identified him as Lord. So this led me down the path of finding some like more concrete conversational points of what exactly it is that's being taught. And um, I came across a site called progressivechristianity.org and on it there is a paper uh, that are the eight points of progressive Christianity. And these eight points of progressive Christianity were actually... um, Uh, written in the 90s and then they were modernized in 2012. So I just want you to think about the fact that this was from 10 years ago uh, and I'm not going to cover all eight of them. We will have a link uh, available to you to them. But I just want to cover the first two. That, That The idea of progressive Christians believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an awareness and experience of the sacred and the oneness and the unity of all life. They affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. The idea that I want to kind of set as foundational here, why we need to be able to understand or why judgment or a doctrine of judgment is important is because there is another doctrine that is being uh, propagated that says that we all, right, can be Christ. Jesus was just the first. And even more succinctly, that all of these different gods and religions and ideologies, as long as they're basically good in nature, that they're all going to lead to the same place. Now, if that's true, right? And that any any idea that you have that based on man's thoughts are good, if, if any of those exist, then, then they're gonna lead to God and all's gonna be okay. Then there is no need for a doctrine or an idea around judgment. Yet scripture tells us that having understanding of judgment is elementary to the faith. Now, Jesus' teachings do not justify the idea that he is merely one way to experience what they call sacredness and oneness of life, right? Where does this idea come from? Well, this comes from a doctrine that is called Uh, the cosmic Christ. This is not a doctrine that we hold to. It says that the theology of the cosmic Christ says that the oneness Jesus achieved with the divine, which transcended death was not unique to him. He wasn't meant to be the one and only who could achieve this connection with God. He was to be the model, the example, the blueprint for how everyone could connect to God. Okay. Now, this sounds crazy probably to some of you right now. You're probably going, Pastor Jim, why are you talking about this? Here's why I'm talking about this. There are churches within three-mile radius of this place right here teaching this. There are people who probably go to churches that you are familiar with, and you think, okay, well, they go to church. They claim to be a Christian. It's, it's good, but this is what's being taught from platforms, Right? And if we don't have the elementary basics, if we don't understand what it is that it, what, what being a Christian consists of, then it becomes really easy to go down this path. And this is very popular. And why is it popular? Because it requires nothing of me except to be sweet inside. I get to be whatever I feel like I am right here and nothing has to change. And I got to tell you, like, there's a lot that needs to change inside of me. Like, I have got to be a better person. My heart, my mind, they need to be transformed. This is is why becoming a believer is about confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. Why? Because there is a transformation that is taking place. Paul says that uh, that we put away our old ways, right? We set them to the side. We renew our minds. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. right Now this is a passage that has been used for so long to help us just kind of relegate or or, 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 or just be able to communicate that Jesus believed he was the only way. And yet, within some of these other teachings, they take this verse and they say, well, Jesus dying on the cross is what that meant. All he had to do was die on the cross and everybody was taken care of. There will never be any other consequences for their actions. And so, is this fulfilled by the atonement at the cross? Well, if we go to context, we find that that's not even a possibility. Let's just go back to verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? When is he talking about this? He's talking about this post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. Jesus is having a conversation about what he is going to go do next not about the cross. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What, what is he talking about? He is talking about eternity. He is talking about heaven. He is talking about the new world, right? Where he comes and establishes a new kingdom. Jesus is actively preparing that place to bring us to it. And he says that the only way you're going to get to that place is through him. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus claims that it is because of him and through him alone that we are able to Attain that eternal security. And Jesus tells us that the Old Testament believer was looking for him. Go to John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, right? So Jesus even believed that, that, that in the Old Testament, they were not trying to be Christ themselves. They weren't trying to attain some oneness. Instead, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for God in the flesh. He says they were looking for who? They were looking for me, for my day. So why look for Jesus if they could be their own Christ? So, there is one question that we all have, but some lose their way trying to answer. And it's this question right here. This is the question I think that so many of us end up kind of wrestling with at some point in our walk. And that is the question, what about the innocent man or woman who has never heard the gospel? What about that innocent man or woman? And, and I got to tell you that that innocent man or woman is absolutely definitely going to be in eternity. The problem is in the question, and that is innocent. That's the dilemma that we create, because we make the assumption that somewhere out there is an altruistic, good individual, and yet history tells us that they don't exist. And the Word tells us that Jesus came because man could not walk out that life of innocence. And so, Jesus became the innocent lamb, right, that, that would die on a cross for our sins. And so, the problem lies in how we interpret what's good. I'll tell you, when I was in uh, Bible college, we used to go on Friday nights and we'd go out to the strip where the clubs were and, uh, uh, and we would go and try to witness to people, right? Uh, I think it's kind of a lost art. I don't know if people still do this, but we would go and we would just try to have a conversation and talk about Jesus with people. And let me tell you what we got constantly, time and time again. Yo, 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 I'm a good person. Mainly what I do is good. God and me are good. It's good. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm good, I'm good. And the fact that they were at the club or at the bar or even that they were drunk that night, I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you, well, that proves that they're not a good person because the word of God tells us that they're not a good person. I'm not a good person, right? And you'd go and this is the, this is the conversation that gets had over and over and over. Now, understanding judgment keeps us focused on Christ as the only way as the only way. Christ is the only way. So, the Bible clearly teaches there have been judgments and there will be judgments. So, I want to take a look at three judgments. There are multiple within Scripture. I don't have time to go through them all. Let's take a look at the judgment of the world, the judgment of the world. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus knew full well the purpose of his life, right? He knew full well what he would have to endure. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the judgment of the world has already taken place. The cross was the sentencing of this. Look at verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world, right? This word now is with prophetic certainty. It has happened. This picture of the judgment of the world, this is the sentence passed on this world. And when he talks about rejecting the ruler of this world, he is saying that this verse creates a little bit of confusion for some people because... Some people look at the ruler of the world, if they're not saved and they don't believe in God, they go, well, you're talking about the one that created everything, right? But within the context of Scripture, the ruler of the world, as it is often used, is not referencing the creator of the world, but the one that deceived the world and now has dominion over it. And so, he says that the, the sentence has been given for the world. The price has been paid, and there is a banishment that is happening. The ruler of this world is losing authority. Why? Because Jesus is drawing humanity unto himself. Now, let's take a look at the second one, the judgment of the unbeliever. The judgment of the unbeliever, Revelation Chapter 20 here in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. This picture here where it says, which is the book of life, this word life is uh, of life is zoe. We talk about zoe uh, as a as a word that means life as God intended. Life, listen to this, both physical and spiritual simultaneously. That's what makes this picture of Zoe so different from just this idea of life. Like we think, well, you've got breath in your lungs, you're alive. This Zoe life is is both a life that is happening simultaneously in the physical and in the spiritual. And he says, so you've got the book of life, right? And he says, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And this word dead is to be lifeless or subject to death. Okay, let's go on here to verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Now, I'm gonna tell you, like this is an interesting passage because it says that the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And then there's this separation of thought that death and Hades gave up those, uh, gave up the dead who were in them. And so you actually find that scholars are kind of divided on whether or not There's something about those who are dead at sea versus those who are dead on the land, or whether or not this is some type of metaphor for those who are believers and unbelievers. And I can't give you an answer 100%. I did hours of research looking into it, and it just is a divide that, at the end of the day, I think is very open handed and doesn't matter. But if you're reading that going, it's kind of confusing. It's a little bit confusing. There's no doubt there. But death and Hades, right? You see that they're capitalized. These are not persons, but these are uh, the idea of places. So death being uh, death physical or spiritual. So this word death here is talking about either being dead physically or dead spiritually. And that's significant because when it talks about giving up those that are dead, you can be dead spiritually as in that you have not accepted Jesus. You do not have a second birth. You do not know him, right? But be alive physically and come into this place of judgment. And then Hades this, this means that which is unseen. So in the unseen being brought forward, verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, meaning that the need for a separation of death between physical and spiritual, there will no longer be an unseen. These places no longer have a need to exist. They are thrown into the lake of fire to be consumed. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What does that mean? that they were, that book of life is the book that names those that are alive both physically and spiritually, right? Not just physically. The book of life is those that have received new birth, right? They have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. And those whose names were not found in that book face the judgment of separation from God, Separation into the lake of fire, right? And that fire consuming all that is, is, is wretched and broken in their lives. This word anyone's here, just, just for some real good, like kind of making sure we understand, it translates anyone, a certain person, there is no exception, there is no exception. Anyone who says, I've got it figured out. I talked with God. If he's real, it's solid. That exclusion is not found in scripture. And right here, when we come to this picture of judgment, it says that anyone whose name is not found to be alive, both physically and spiritually, faces they face this judgment. So this is a judgment for those who are not named in the book of life. And the argument, I'm a good person though, it doesn't work. It's not going to pass the mustard. It's not going to be enough standing there before him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. What is he saying? He's saying that there will be people who are alive in the physical. They make public confessions about, look, I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. They are not alive spiritually. Right? And he says that they may even show up and do some good things and they may help those that are, they may go, I've got a, a moral compass, I'm morally good, right? And they gain that moral compass by looking around at society and going, well, this makes everyone happy, so I'll do this, right? And they're going to stand before God and go, whoa, 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 God, hold on just a second, I did all those good things, right? And he's going to say, that's that's not enough, you are a worker of lawlessness, so the scripture does not support a good person salvation or a good person exemption from judgment. Being a good person by your own standards, right? Now, I just want you to hear that. By your standards, being a good person, thats not going to be an argument, right? In fact, the good person argument isn't needed. That's the beauty of salvation. You don't have any need to go before God and go, I was a good person. It's about coming to the place where you acknowledge, I'm not a good person, so I need somebody to step in on my behalf. I need some type of intervention. Now, let's look at this last one for the day, the believer's judgment. And uh, I've got the, the most to say about this one because I believe that the majority of people who are here today are either believers or really consider themselves believers. So let's look at what Scripture says about the believer's judgment, right? Again, so... Really important, I grew up just kind of thinking there was just like this one judgment and we're all gonna come there and those that are saved will step into eternity and those that are not saved will step away from eternity, right? Into hell, into the abyss, away from God. Right? But scripture actually gives us pictures of different types of judgment. And this is good for us to understand. As believers, right? We will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. We will be told that we have been righteous. We will be given access into the kingdom of heaven. But there is more beyond that. There is more beyond that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire now i'm going to pause for just a second and say a trying to sum judgment up into one thought th- this is where people land and they reject the other passages they reject the other types of judgment and, and you have a lot of people who go, well, I, you know, there's just one judgment, and in the end, everyone's going to make it, right? This is not talking about everyone. And we know that it's not talking about everyone because in other parts of Scripture, it tells us that there are consequences for those that do not accept Jesus, those that do not accept Him to be Lord of their lives. So, this is talking about those who have done what? They have built their lives on the foundation which is what he says Jesus. So this is specifically talking about those who would say I am a Christian Jesus is lord of my life. Now this concept it makes Christ the foundation or the rock and the building materials are the way we live our lives. The, the, the things that we do on top of it, that's the building materials in this picture, right? And so, the idea is that if your work endures, you receive a reward. If your work endures, you receive a reward. So, when you build a home, right, uh, here along the, the coast, right, you build a home here thinking in terms of the fact that a hurricane could come, right? Right? And the further inland you get, the less concerned you are with that. The closer to the water you are, the more concerned you are with that. Why? Because a storm can come and blow everything away. But inland, they get storms as well. Eleven years ago, uh, we had just started as a church and a F5 went through Birmingham, Alabama and a group of us went over there to go and try to help. Guys, the, that that tornado scrubbed houses completely down to the foundation and pressure washed it there was nothing there in some of those places but concrete nothing there was a uh, we were walking through the devastation and there was a, an, a, a a pine tree right 30 feet tall and it was completely stripped down like a toothpick bark and all and then speared to the top of it was a mattress right houses completely gone now we'd Understand now that there are ways that we can build things that will help to ensure security in the midst of the storm, right? We take those things that are precious to us, right? Documents, things that are irreplaceable, and we put them in fireboxes in our home, right? Because we would like to think that if a fire were to come and burn our house up, there would be certain things that would be protected, Right? And that's this picture is that, is that is this, when, the, when the test comes to see if that which we have built can sustain whatever is left, right? That's, that's what we have. And I think of this meme here of the guy, little dog in the fire, and it's just everything's burning around him. And it's like, that's fine. It's no big deal, right? And I got to tell you, the only way you come to this place is if you have some confidence that you have built your structure to withstand fire, Right? Now, what are the rewards that we get, right? I have no idea. I don't have any clue what the rewards are. And I think that it's probably good, right? Um, I don't know uh, if any of you remember, but when I was a kid uh, in school, we would be given these um, little catalogs to go and sell things to people. And uh, depending on how much we sold, right, we earned points and then we would get gifts, right? And so we could spin that in the back and we had a little thing where we could buy prizes. So we were out trying to sell as a fundraiser for the school, you know, popcorn or, you know, whatever crazy thing that they had, right? Um, and they got pretty elaborate too, right? I mean, it was like, sometimes like a little Amazon catalog today, you know, and you'd go and you'd go knocking on doors trying to do this because you wanted to get that little piece of metal that had the bend in it with the wheel on it and you'd sit there and roll it. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. It was pathetic. I never got it. Um, Right? But we knew what the rewards were, and so we only went out there and sold to try to get enough points to get the reward that we wanted. And there's probably some wisdom here in not telling us what all these rewards look like, what eternity looks like, right? Why there's only a portion of it, a glimpse given, right? Because we aren't called to do the bare minimum. We aren't called, but we're created. We are wired that way, right? We have a goal in mind. I can can speak for guys at the very least, right? Like we can be goal-driven and we can be like, here's my task, I'm gonna get this task done. I'll go without sleep, I'll go without eating. I will keep going until the task is done. And when the task is done, I feel fulfilled and completed and I'm ready to go sit down and do nothing, right? I can just get the task done. That's my thing, get the task done. And because we're wired that way, How dangerous could it be if we had a catalog to go through that said, hey, listen, if you live for Jesus this number of years and do this many good deeds and feed this many homeless people, here's what your house and swimming pool will look like, right? Oh man, that's the house and pool I want. So I've only got to do this for six months. Yeah, I'm good with that, right? We don't know what the rewards are, right? But we do know that the way we live our lives will be put to a test and that somehow that's going to equate to what that reward looks like irregardless irregardless those that have the foundation that is Christ step into eternity irregardless what's the purpose of the rewards we don't know why do those rewards go with us into eternity what does eternity look like we don't know what we do know is that they're individualistic it is going to be contingent specifically on you and it's going to be a reward based on you and what you need and what will fulfill you. We, we don't know anything beyond that. Now, is it just external works that we are accountable for? No, 1 Corinthians chapter four, And Paul continuing in the same thought we just came out of, verse five, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So, it's not just what we build on the outside that everybody else gets to see. It is also about what is happening on the inside. This is why being a follower of Christ, so it's, so, it's such an intricate part of the faith to try to be a better person, right? So, to dig into the Scripture, understand it, and let it change who I am. I would like to think, and I would hope my wife would testify to this, that that process has been something at work in my life. That I am not the guy that she married in a good way. That I have matured some, that I have grown some, that the the guy that stayed up all night playing video games and was late to work because I was tired from playing video games is not the same guy that she's married to today, right? Why she married me then, I have no idea. She saw something inside. I'm happy about that, right? But I've become a different person, why? I'm gonna tell you why I've become a different person because as I have been engaged in the process of knowing Jesus and studying the Word of God, I have made the decision, I can be better, I can do better. Do I think I have attained that? perfect place? Absolutely not. Like I do not, I am not trying to rush the next 20 years of my life, but I have great confidence that in 20 years, I will be an even better person because I see what God's hand is doing in my life. Followers of Christ work on the condition of their hearts and their minds. They do. Let me use a little analogy for you. Let's talk about porn for just a second, right? So, This is something that uh, uh, a lot of men, and statistically speaking, more and more women than ever before, are scientifically struggling with an addiction to. Okay? Scientifically. Science says addiction. Okay? All right? So. This concept gets introduced into a young man's life. The world that we live in now gives access to it like never before in history. Like never before in history. There was a time in history where we had a gatekeeper that said, you're too young. You don't have access. Now that gatekeeper is a web page that says, are you 18? And you go, yes. And you can be five. There's nothing else there except for the integrity and honesty of a child admitting that they're 18 years old when they're not. And so, this begins to rewire us. We understand this, right? Let's talk about men for a moment. This creates a a mindset of objectifying women, right? Uh, Creating expectations that can't be met when it comes to intimacy. It's a real problem. What happens is, is that the way that it is wiring a man to behave is contrary to the way that God is calling a man to behave, Right? And so, somebody would go, well, we don't see the word, you know, porn in the sense of like a movie in Scripture, so it can't be that bad. Listen, you can come up with all the justification that you want, but the fruit of that desire is a fruit that is toxic and clearly falls into the category of sin. And so what happens in our lives is that we get saved and we begin to look at these things like this that are bearing fruit that does not honor God and we have to come to the to the to a crossroads where we say listen I want God to continue to do a work in me. And this is a roadblock. This is preventing my life from looking like it needs to look. And so I begin to make a conscious decision that says, I'm not going to allow this to rule my life. And this is one of those things like he's talking about that is tends to be happening on the inside, right? It tends to be something that is not public where everyone knows it, it tends to be on the inside. Our lives can be filled with fill in the blank with whatever it is. If it is leading you to a place of toxic. Uh, uh, intentions, toxic lifestyle, and it's not honoring to God. These are the types of things that we want the Word of God to begin to do a work in our lives to help push out, right? So, salvation is coming to know Jesus, right? I never understood these terms when I was younger. Salvation is coming to know Jesus. Sanctification is the process of working all this garbage out of my life, right? So, I get saved, and I may still have some of this junk, but my foundation is Jesus. So, my foundation is good, but I'm building my house out of mud and Sticks and there's a hurricane coming, right? I'll still have my foundation, but man, I can do better. There are resources that are being made available to me that will help me to do a better job at building that house. Now, what does this judgment look like? All right, let's go to Romans chapter 14. For this Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So this word here, ju- or this phrase, judgment seat of God, this is what I want to focus on for, for just a moment, okay? Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what is this judgment seat, okay? All right, to understand the judgment seat, we need to understand that first of all, we are standing before the judgment seat, right? Now, he says that every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess. That will happen. At the judgment seat, there is a position of standing. So that means, that is this prolonged version of peristano, right? So peristano in the Greek is the idea to be risen, to not be knelt down, right? Okay. To be present, to be at hand. And so it is not just simply standing up, but the image here is that at the judgment seat, there is a Prolonged moment of standing, right? Why is that? Because there's an account that's being given, right? So, I have lived 43 years. I have 43 years of conversation to have with my Creator, right? Good and bad. I love Him. He is opening my heart and my mind in those moments to what my eternity will look like, okay? But what is the judgment seat? This was really fascinating to me in studying. So, this word is… this bimati is a platform for a tribunal, okay? And not just in any form, okay? In the Greek, the word bima referenced a platform from which a judge gave evaluations, judgments, or rewards. So when he is talking to the believer and he talks about the judgment seat that the believer goes and stands before, this is not a judgment seat where consequences are being doled out. This man that brought forth the Bema did not have a whip in his hand and say, hey, you did a great job. You did a terrible job and begin to beat them. No, this was evaluations, judgments, and rewards. So, those that were participating, and this was typically in an athletic competition, when the athletic competition was over, they came before this platform, and the judge that was there would talk to them about, hey… You didn't obey this rule, you cheated here, right? You could have done better. I really liked the integrity that you had in this moment. And because of that, there were incentives that were given. Now, this is a radically different thought that the New Testament church is having around this than when we hear the word judgment. Because all we hear is the negative, right? When we it's just like when you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they're like, oh I've heard about the church, all the list of do's and don'ts, right? I don't need somebody telling me what not to do. I'm gonna do my own thing, right? I mean that is a hundred percent our mindset, right, at times. That's not what they were hearing. They were hearing, oh, the gesture." okay, this is where, because I, I, I'm on the field, I'm not being mocked and made fun of, or there's not a consequence for it. I'm being brought in, and then I'm being told what I did good, what I could have done better. You see, the only consequence faced was to receive the least praise or reward. So at the Bema, th- that was the only thing is that, man, everybody else did better than I did. Getting to the game, getting to Christ as the foundation, that's the key to understanding what the believer's judgment looks like. And then he says here, what? There's a prolonged period of time where there is an evaluation, there's a conversation taking place. Why? Because we will give an account of himself. I will give an account to God. What is that? That is something said, the reasoning, the motives. He'll say, why did you do this? And I'll give the motives to why I did that, right? Right? This is that conversation that's taking place. He talks about it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, right? So what does this mean to appear? It means to make clear, to make visible, Okay? And we just talked about the judgment seat. So, we're going to be made visible. We're going to come to the judgment seat, to this bima, to this place of conversation. Right? So, that each, right? And this is the superlative of Hekas, which means that no one is exempt. Right? So, Hekas means basically everybody. Okay? And then the idea here in this form is that there is no room for anybody to wiggle out of it. So every believer is going to come into this specific place. And you're going to give an account, right? Whether it was good or whether it was evil. And that's where we go back to understanding the rewards, okay? So Jesus illustrates the judgment those who are familiar with him that are familiar with him will face in Matthew 25. So we're gonna sum all this up right here into Matthew 25. We started with it, he talks about judgment, right? But just before he started talking about judgment, he gave a parable and this was the parable of the talents. There's one man that gets five talents, another man gets two talents and the last gets one talent. Now we don't know what the talents are per se, but we know that they hold some intrinsic value, right? Why do we know that? Because they can be invested, right? They can be moved out into society and that they can gain a return, right? So the master gives them this, uh, this whatever this thing is that has value and he gives it to them. They have responsibility over it and he leaves, right? Now what's the parallel? The parallel for us is that the gospel holds intrinsic, intrinsic value, right? The gospel has a value value to the people around us. Verse 19 of this, it says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. What happens is, is that the one who had been given five comes out and says, master, I took the five that you gave me. I invested it and I saw a return of five. You gave me a value of five. I doubled that. Here is all 10 to you, right? And he says, you did a great job. He goes to the one that he gave two. And that one says, Master, you gave me two. This was what you gave me. So I took it. I invested it. And now I have brought you an additional two. Great. You've done a good job, right? Okay. Only one was nominal in their faith. Only one of them. And it was the one that was given the one talent. And the one that was given the one talent went and hid it and buried it. They were more concerned with losing it than they were with using it. I want you to think about that in a gospel message for a moment. Are you more concerned with losing the gospel than you are with using the gospel? Are you more concerned with losing salvation than you are with using salvation? right? Because the real, the real reason we all get itchy and scratchy and squirmy around judgment is because we all think, well, what if, I, what if I am not saved, right? I don't want to talk about that. I'm not comfortable with that conversation. And and the reality is, is that we're more concerned with losing our salvation than we are open to the fact that we can use our salvation, right? We have, tre- we have, the, we have tremendous confidence we have been saved. Our lives are built on a solid foundation, right? God is God is going to reestablish this world under a new kingdom, right? Jesus is my Savior. I am stepping into that. And if I have that confidence, then I don't have to be afraid of that judgment. But watch what happens here in verse 29. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is, this is the illustration he gives just before he starts talking about judgment is he says that the one that is more concerned with losing it, right, than they are with using it is not actually saved. Salvation looks like this. I understand I cannot do it on my own. I believe Jesus has saved me, and therefore, I will live my life in such a way as to bring glory and honor to His name. I may not get it all right. I may not be the bright and shining star, but I am out there, and I am living as a believer. And Jesus goes on in those following verses to expound on the coming judgment. And this is the question I get asked so often, right, is how do I know if I'm really saved? How do I know if I'm really saved? And I, I gotta tell you, that comes from a position of us just wanting to do the bare minimum. If you will stop doing the bare minimum as a Christian, you will not be concerned with whether you're saved or not. So if you are in this place and you're like, well, I'm just not sure if I'm saved or not, right? Here's my challenge. Acknowledge that you need Jesus and stop being the very minimal Christian, the nominal bare minimum believer that you've, Feel like you have to be. And start living for the God you claim that you have faith in. Be obedient unto Him. Live for Him and serve Him. Let's stand to our feet. This message, right? This message that one day we're going to give an account for our lives, right? Believers, unbelievers, it's going to look different for us all. It flies right in the face of the narrative that, that we all are... On our way to, to some type of Eden or heaven. No, there's going to be consequences. And let me tell you, the responsibility that sits on our shoulders is to share the gospel, the gospel message. People have got to know about Jesus. And, and, and we, when we come to the realization that when people don't know Jesus, right, that they face a different judgment, that should put a burden in our hearts to share Jesus with them, right, to give them the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You for Your Word. I thank You that Your Word, it bears fruit, that it speaks life, that we can be encouraged, and that we can also be corrected by it. Father, I thank You for what You do through it. Lord, I pray that as followers of Christ in this room today, that that we would not be seeking the bare minimum, but instead we would be in pursuit of knowing you and serving you with the fullest of who we are. We thank you for all you do in your mighty name. Amen. Listen, if you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, we want to pray with you. We want to talk to you about that. We have our prayer ministry teams in the back available to speak with you. If you are uh, sick in body, prayer ministry teams are available for you. Remember, next week starts Passion Week. We will be uh, focusing in on wrapping up doctrines, specifically leading to the doctrine of resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Be with us. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. As always, go change your world.
1: The do